ai me ke aloha e nā makamaka hoʻolohe i kani nō ka alai i ka wai. E nana i ana nō ke kahi maumanu noho a lia-lia i keia lā ma ka leo ka uluau. The olelo no eo, our poetical saying that Lei just shared, can be translated as the mud hen cries because it has water. As we listen to what our guest today has to share about the legendary alai, let's bear in mind this wise saying. And with that, Welcome to Kaleo Kauluau. Our current season of Kaleo Kauluau highlights our deep connections with our avian cousins, the native birds of Hawaii. All season long, members of a group called Ahui Manu will be joining us to share about this connection between Kanaka and Manu. Ahui Manu is a group of people dedicated to our collective recollection and reaffirmation of our ancient and contemporary bonds with the Manu people, the native birds of Hawaii. With each episode, our mea people will lift up the names, characteristics, and places associated with particular native bird species, including their appearance in an oli composed to celebrate each one and their relationships with life forms Mauka and Makai. Many of the birds are grouped together by their superpowers that each Meakipa will introduce. And today we have the privilege of having Luca Zavas join us to share about Manu who are so amazing, we're calling them wetland wonders. And they include the Alai Ula, Alai Keo, and the Ai O. Lei, would you like to do the honors of introducing our guest? Higino, Luca Zavas graduated from UH Manoa with her BS and MEM from the Department of Natural Resource and Environmental Management within the College of Tropical Agriculture and Human Resources. A local of Ahui Manu o Ahu, her journey from the dryland forests of Waimea Valley to the coastal wetlands of Keawawa Mauna Lua taught her the importance of stories between people and places for fostering reciprocal relationships that encourage communities to create space for cohabitation. Luca has worked as a conservation land specialist and Aina educator, finding her passion in helping communities connect and create their own stories with the place they call home. She now works for the American Bird Conservancy as the outreach manager to assist the Birds Not Mosquitoes partnership in fostering pilino with the Hawaiian honeycreepers and the conservation tools to be used to save them from extinction. Wow, that is really important work. And amazing that she is from Ahui Manu in Ko'olaupoku on Oahu. Let's go over to Luca now. Aloha, Luca. Mahalo for being here with us today. We're really excited to hear from you. Um, and it sounds like the, the theme, the Manu theme that you're going to share is Wetland Wonders. Yes. So, yeah, super excited. Mahalo. Uh-huh. Mahalo nui for joining us. I'm looking forward to what you have to share with us and our audience. So, e olu olu mai, whenever you're ready. So, aloha and thank you so much for having me here today. It's really beautiful to come over to a rainy healer. Reminds me of my home in Ahui Manu. I grew up there and, you know, at, when I looked outside, I saw a lot of birds and I came to know later on that these birds were not my native birds to <laughs> Hawaii. And so, um... Kind of going to the wetland wonders, the three birds that I'm focusing on today are the alai ula, the alai ke'o, and then the ai'o. So you guys will, um, you might have seen them. I know the alai ula's not here anymore, but they are a black bird about the size of a chicken. They have chicken legs and a big red shield on their forehead. The alai ke'o is black also about the same size of the alai ula, a little fatter. Um, their feet is lobed though, it's white 
and it's like comes out like a chicken foot, but it's like lobed on the side, not connected like a duck's foot, but it really helps them swim through the water. Mm. Um, I think you guys have some in Waiakea in the inlet over there. Connect. I think it's connected to Hilo Bay. That's that's what it looked like mm. on Google Maps, anyways. And then um, the Ai'o, they are um, really tall tall compared to the Alai'ula and the Laikeo, <laughs> but they have long pink legs. They're black on top and white on the bottom. But I want to start with the Alai'ula because that really is the bird that got me into wetlands and into kind of, I like to say, like, I'm more of like a water fairy. I love having my feet in the water and being playing in the mud. But the uh, Alai'ula... Um, became my friend when I did a kupu internship at Waimea Valley up on the North Shore. Um, at the time, I had just returned from Colorado. I went over there to become a veterinarian, and I really found that that's not what I wanted to do. And I was kind of a little lost. I didn't know where I was supposed to go. I just knew, like, I had to figure out a career. I had to find a job. You know, I wasn't a kid anymore. And so I went into kupu because, like, I knew I wanted to do something with nature. And so while I was there, um, I heard these calls in the morning. It was like kind of like, <laughs> and I was like, oh, what is that? And so I ran over to the ponds and I saw the Alaiula there. And they were the cutest little things because like when they're swimming, they kind of like bob their head back and <laughs> forth. And then um, as they're walking around, they'll like flip their tail. And I just watched these birds and I thought, I was like, oh, these are so cool. You know, they're in this pond. You can see them all the time. And I Googled them and they were really endangered. There was like less than a thousand of them left. And when I was looking at through like the sheets, like, oh, you know, these are cryptic birds. They aren't really easily found. You hear them more than you see them. And I was just really confused because here they were in Waimea Valley and I could see them all the time. And so um, my job as a kupu, I like did things up at um, Kalahe'e, which is a smaller ridge inside of Waimea Valley. And we did a lot of dry forest restoration there. But I asked them, I was like, can I do anything in the ponds? And they're like, yeah. So I went and did a lot of pond work and completely different than what their like description was in like the records and stuff. They are really friendly. So... I would go out with a surfboard and just put all the like weeds on top of the surfboard. And the Alai'ula would come close to me after like they got to know me a little bit. Like at first, hidden. But once they like I've been there for a couple months, they came out and they would like hop on top of the surfboard with wow. all of the opala on top or the, <laughs> you know, the rubbish um, weeds and stuff like that. And I could like pull them around. And then what really like connected me and made me feel special was like it was my last day as like a kupu. Oh, no, I actually got hired. So like I transitioned from kupu to being hired. And it was my last day there because I decided to go to grad school to study the alai to try and figure out what was happening to all the keiki that were leaving Waimea. Mm -hmm. And just like where they was I raising these birds at Waimea and caring for them and they would leave and like what would happen? Would they get would they die? Would they find new homes? Like nothing really knew what happened like once they left. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go to grad school and try to see if I can put backpacks on them and track them and see mm -hmm. like, you know, what's going on. But I was like feeling really sad because, you know, I've come to grow to love this place. And I don't know how to explain it, but you kind of just know after a while, like 
there was a nest and like I knew there was a nest. I knew that, you know, mama was sitting on it because I hadn't seen her for a while. And I was like, oh, you know, I, I kind of wish I could see the last like clutch before I left. And I was like watching the sunrise come up because you get to work kind of early, <laughs> watching the sunrise come up over the um, pond. And she comes out and there's like these four little chicks coming Aww. up behind her. And she just like kind of passes right in front of me. And Show then goes off back. to you. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, mom. I call her Bab because she had a blue aluminum blue blue as her like jewelry on her uh -huh. leg so we can identify them. And that like just relationship, like it wasn't just a bird. Like they became my family. And I, mm. sorry. And I just really enjoyed like hanging out with them. And that's kind of like that relationship that I wish that, you know, I wanted to cherish and I wanted to like help teach to other people because um, they don't have to be endangered cryptic birds that you don't see. Um, through my grad project, I didn't end up getting, being able to put backpacks on them um, because they're an endangered bird and I don't have bird handling experience and that would have taken a lot of time. So instead... Um, I reached out and I looked into um, the new Pippa just to see, like, what did people say about the birds? Like, what kind of relationships did people talk about? And um, the first ping that came up was, like, kolohe, that they were, like, <laughs> rascal birds, that they were getting into someone's garden and, like, just eating up their stuff. And then the more that I looked into it, that they actually really flourished when hollow fields were very like prominent mm. because they love that interaction of the way that Kahlo is built up that you know you have the pond and then you have like the areas on the outside that's the grassy area and then you have like other farm places because even though they're water birds they actually like to be outside on the grass a lot more than like in the water at least the ones that I've seen mm -hmm. and so just and then like talking to other people, they're like, if you go to um, Ulupo, which is in Kailua, they all wear pink shirts. And they're like, yeah, they like kind of get to know, like see us and recognize us. So they, you know that they have like the ability to notice who you are and make those relationships. But going from Waimea, I, where I work now and the alai that I take care of now is located in Mauna Lua. And Many people won't recognize the name Mauna Lua because it's known as Hawaii Kai. And that's just because Kaiser came through and he developed it. So it kind of took on his name. But we're trying really hard to like give it back the name. So Mauna Lua. And it is known for its two Mauna, um, Kohe Lepe Lepe. And I love I love it just because, like, I think I'm still a teenager deep down in my heart. <laughs> but um, it's known as, like, the flying vagina because of the time when um, Kamapua'a wanted to, like, you know, get together with Pele and she didn't want to do it. So I think one of her sisters took off her vagina and just threw it. <laughs> and so when you look at Kohelepelepe, you can see gouges into it. And that's where Kamapua'a took his tusks and was like, going at it and so Pele was able to run away and then there's another one um thank you thank you so much yeah and so the story I heard with that was there's this beautiful princess and these two Kane wanted to like marry her and so they couldn't you know decide which one so they decided to do like a strength check and like you know 
I don't think it was like arm wrestling, but kind of like along the lines of like to see who was stronger than the other one. And they couldn't. So they kind of came at an impasse. So then that's um, them stuck there. Um, you would know it as Hamauna Bay. So that back um, ridge line is the two kane to, uh, that turn into mo'o and they're just kind of like there and still wrestling, still, you know, to this day, having this power struggle to see who can um, get with the wahine, but they didn't. <laughs> but yeah, so those are the two um, mountains that are right around Mauna Lua Bay. And the place that I'm at is um, Keavava Wetland. And um, Keavava Wetland is once was a part of the Loko Ia o Mauna Lua. And I've kind of come to hear that a lot of people say that we had the biggest wetland it or was, biggest yeah. fish pond or something <laughs> like was. that. But it, it, it is. It was, and it was still working into like the 1970s. So when World War II was happening, it was still providing food for everybody. But it's, uh, from what I've been told, it's a kuapa. So it wasn't like pai pai o he'ia where you had to build up rock to make the, um, the fish pond, it was already kind of naturally like a mulivai, so like an estuary area. And so I think they just like reinforced it a little bit more, you know, put in the, um, oh, why can't I think of the name? But the... Makaha. Yeah, makaha to like, you know, help the fish come in and out. But it was still working. And, uh, you know, we kind of tell the story of like, it was a blessing and not a blessing that Kaiser came through because we don't look like Waikiki. We don't have a lot of high rises. It's still like very like suburban, but it got dredged. And so the way that the water moves through, there's a lot more salt water in it now. Mm. And so a lot of, um, so the Alai is a freshwater specialist. And so they don't really inhabit the actual like entire local Ia anymore. And then Keavava is even worse because they put a road and we got cut off. Mm -hmm. oh. So before, you know, when the tides would come in or something, they would rush through Keavava and be able to take out all the sediment and take out anything and they do this exchange. But now we are just kind of stuck there. And we're okay because we're spread by the springs underneath. So there's a lot of freshwater springs. But that is where the Alai Ula now live in um Manolua. They also are at Paiku Lagoon, but the Alai are very um, home buddies. They don't like to leave. They find their place and they're like, this is me. <laughs> um, so this area was um, actually slated to become a parking lot, a tennis court, and a cool driveway for a apartment building that was going to oh be right my. there. But the community came together and they said, nah. Oh. <laughs> and so, and one of the reasons why is because the Alai lived there. Mm -hmm. And so the Alai are, um, the Alai there are doing really well. We've been doing a lot of like restoration and we've been starting to pull out bulrush, which is, we have a native variety, but that's not the native variety there. Pull out the bulrush and we've made some like, I wanted to put kalo in just to bring kalo back. And so when I made the mounds and everything, another bird came. <laughs> and this was the I.O. And the I.O. kind of sounds like a... <laughs> and they just fly over. And we call them our, like, kia'i because they um, are our guardians of the area because they get very 
particular of who can be there and who cannot. So if like ducks come that weren't supposed to be there, they'll fly over and like dive bomb at the ducks <laughs> with their long pink legs and just like hop on their backs until the ducks fly away. Wow. So, but they're like skedaddle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so the IO decided to lay its nest on top of my like collow patches. So there's no collow there, but you know, it was really nice to see this new bird just kind of just flying over because they fly between different wetlands all the time and was like, oh, this is a home and you can lay here. And it's really awesome because like, I forgot to describe it, but Kiavava is like on seven acres, but it's kind of shaped like an L. There's like a straight line of water right in the middle. And on one side towards like, if you're going towards the Mauna, there is... um Oahu Club, which is a rec center. So there's like gym people there. And then towards where they put the apartment building set back a little bit, there's actually Havea Heiau. And it's not built up Heiau, but it like kind of forms to the curvature of the area. And in front of that, we have like now some like native plants and things, but at the time it was like Akeave and they were able to clear it all out. And so it's just kind of like that L shape. We have a cakey native garden, um, dry forest going on too. But it's on, but if you look right outside the fence, there's a the Hawaii Drive. And then there's apartment buildings and people's homes. So it really is a wetland in the middle of suburbia. Mm. But these birds are doing well in the middle of suburbia. Aren't the I.O. a sign of health for an area? Yes. So, yeah, they're like one of the first, the, they are the last to leave and like one of the first to like come back because of the way that they like fly over. Um, the Then we have Ke'o, Ke'o that comes sometimes to the white shielded one. He doesn't like to stay. <laughs> he flies back and forth and we're like, okay, that's fine. I'm hoping to like get him to hang out with us too more often. No, that's, yeah. that's something I had heard is that... Um, it was a really good sign if you're locally uh, had I.O. And I know that they just, re well, not just, but recently returned to some of the locally uh, on the Kona side. Yes. So we're excited to see them there. Oh, that's wonderful to hear. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was asking, um, oh, what's it? Rachel, I don't know if she came and talked to you guys yet, but I was asking her like, oh, are there I.O. in here? And she goes, mm, sometimes, but a lot in Kona. And so I know Brett's doing a lot of work, too, to help do some pet traps. And that's the the main thing that's keeping them. Down. Like, aside from, like, not having water, but because of, like, the revitalization of the practice of, like, lo'i and loko'ia and everything, there's all these places where they can live, mm -hmm. but they are ground nesters. Oh. So the I.O. don't even make a nest. They kind of just, like, kick the dirt out. And they'll just lay their eggs right on whatever berm they have. Well, that's why your mound was so inviting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're like, oh, look at that. Perfect. Um, exactly. I hope they come back and I'll make a new mound. They'll for spread them. the news and be like, hey, come over here. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, the Ula, they weave the bulrush or whatever emergent vegetation, which means vegetation, grass or whatever that sticks out of the water. They'll like weave it down, but usually they'll hide inside of something. Um, the alaike'o though, they'll kind of do that too, but they'll sometimes just build their nest out in the middle of the water. 
And I love their chicks because they look like fire soot balls. So their <laughs> heads are like red, orangey color, and their bottoms are black. And they'll follow a mom out because a lot of the water birds are pre-koikol. And I'm pretty sure not pronouncing that right. But that just means that once they hatch, they're ready to go. So not like songbirds that have to like stay in the nest and get like fed. They're more like baby chicks. So they'll like just immediately go and follow mom or dad out and get fed. The alaiula, on the other hand, are just black. So I say they'd look like the um, soup balls from like Totoro or something, just with really <laughs> long legs. Sorry, I like Totoro. <laughs> I got you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> oh, that's so cute. Um, but you did mention something about, uh, was it? Was it feral cats that are the issue? Yeah, yeah. So because they're ground mm. nesters, um, cats, rats, and mongoose are really bad. And so we've been finding, though, that as soon as you start doing trapping, they start to rebound. So at Keovava, we have a pred grid, and we're actually starting to have like three different ohana start to have chicks of their own. Oh, nice. Mm. And so it's really fun to see all of them. So typically the water bird nesting season is between like March, April after our big rains. So then, you know, the insects are starting to come out. Mm. They're starting to be more plentiful. We have more water everywhere that they start to have their chicks. But the alai, ula at least, as long as there's good food, they can nest all year round. So I've had chicks in December sometimes too. Oh. As long as they, they feel that their keiki can thrive once they're born. Yeah. It's really interesting to think about how the alaiula are like thriving in that in, in that urban or suburban environment with all of that around them. Mm -hmm. and, and it makes me think that I don't, I'm not sure that would be the case for other native birds. You know, they might not be thriving in that kind of situation. I wonder what makes the alaiula like kind of different in that way that they're able to handle all of that, that human presence all around them. Yeah, I think it really depends on like the type of human presence. Like, so, you know, we are being, and our neighbors too are very like more cognizant of, you know, how we interact with the place and, you know, just making sure that this is their home. And so also, you know, making sure that we don't like leave trash around too. And everybody's kind of really helping with the predators and the cats. And we actually have some, a little bit more neighbors would be like, because there's some high rises around or the apartment buildings, they'll call and be like, hey, you know, I think I saw something. And so then we can go out and like react to it. Mm -hmm. um, I, and I think for main, many of our other native birds, like maybe the honey creepers or those kinds of things, it's also the fact that their forest isn't here. Whereas like, you know, the water birds, as long as there's water, and as long as they have some kind of like vegetation to hide in, that's fine. And we are actually finding like in the wetlands that people are going into. So like a wetland that's just left on its own, that's filled with invasive species, isn't good for our wet, wet water birds, even if it's technically a wetland. Mm. But the places where we have active restoration going on of people like getting in there, whether it's to create lo'i or to just like make it a functional wetland, the birds are responding well to us human presence so they respond well to us being around them and then they get to know us too and they get to know who you are if you're there a long time nice yeah and so 
Did you ever find out? So that research question that you had mentioned before, yes. you know, the idea of put, having um, backpacks on the, the, the birds to find out where they go. Did you ever, I mean, so you looked into the new paper and found accounts of, you know, where they, they tended to be back in the day. Um, did, did, that, did that answer the question for you? Or do, do you still wonder where they go? I still wonder where they go. Um, I know there's others that are going out right now and doing that kind of research. But like what really caught my eye with the Alaiula uh, through the Nupepa is that they were used to describe the like animosity that was happening during the overthrow. Hmm. So, um, so there was one time where um, they were describing that a place had lost its wealth or that it was not doing well because the Alai had disappeared. Hmm. And um, like I said, the Alaiula, at least, are freshwater specialists. They don't really like brackish water. The Kea and the Ai'o can do like mulivai, so like more like where the brackish water meets. But the Alai really like that fresh water. Mm. So they were like, oh, the Alai is all gone. So, you know, the wealth is gone from this place and that mm. we aren't being able to live here. Um, they also said like um, in a snide way, like, who do you think you are? Maui, the one who took the fire from the Alai. And there was another one that was trying, just kind of talking shade at someone. It's like, oh, you're like the Alai that just like hides in the reeds and talks because. So I have one Alai that does that to me. Like I'll walk past <laughs> like the brush where he's at. And then when I pass by, then he'll go. And I was like, I know you were there. I don't know why you have to call at me from like after I pass you. I wasn't going to do anything. But just so you know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's that's a those are all special things to notice as you grew um, your pilina with the birds. Yeah. So just to tie in with all the other um Groups from Ahuimanu that are coming together. I wanted to share the um, the pauku for the Alai Ula. So Ahuimanu is creating, is composing an oli, right? And um, m- many members of Ahuimanu have shared their different um, lines or verses or pauku, as you mentioned. Yeah. Do you mind sharing with us some of those lines from the chat? Yeah, I definitely can. And um, you know, we. This is our hope and our dreams for all these birds. Um, a lot of them are threatened or endangered. And it's really sad that, you know, the place that I call home and that I've grown up in, everything that is like supposedly supposed to live here and that's supposed to thrive here isn't. And so this is kind of our call out to lend them a voice so that they can thrive and to just like reestablish that relationships because we don't have to live in a place where it's like in the forest reserve is where you have native birds or Mm -hmm. in this like wetland reserve is where you have native birds. We could have them like right next to us in our pond next to our house or something, or like all around us. It doesn't have to be the way that we've been like thinking about it. And Mm -hmm. I think it's shifting. I don't think that's really like the thread that's going on. And I'm pretty sure like I'm a part, like I'm, within that wave that's shifting it over, but this is our hopes to it. So the first one I'm going to do is for the I.O. And the second one I'm going to do is for the Alai'ula. So it's Hanau ke kukulu I.O. kani. Kia i'ia e ka aha noho ikai. O la amauloa i ke kukulu I.O. noho iuka. O ka I.O. auna lele a pa'a pa'a hia. So it says birth 
is the aio, and you do its voice. So it's and then kia i ia e ka'aha noho i kai. So I paired it with the um, kind of the flying fish, just because of the way it goes. And then ola amalo i ke kukulu aion noho i uka. So that was the, um, I think it's another word for like the bamboo because of the way that their legs were. But I will double check and come back to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then um, auna lelea pa'a pa'ahia is just to like, we want them to flock together up into the sky, but, you know, be sturdy and strong in the way that they are. And then for the alai ula is han nao ka alai ula kani. And the kani that I'm going to use for them is the one that they use when they're talking to their keiki. So it's like a... And you can hear it in the reeds when they're like just calling to their chicks while they're still in the egg. So they kind of get to know who they are. And then kia i ia e kalimu aki aki noho ikai. Ola mauloi ika iliahi noho iuka, oka alai ula auna lele apaa paa hia. So I chose the limu aki aki because of the way it's a color, and the um, I enjoyed it because even though it's in the ocean or the kai, it really is where the like fresh water is, and then iliahi because of the connection to fire, mm -hmm. and um, this is a more common. Um, Mo'olelo that's associated with the Laula is how Maui was able mm -hmm. to discover fire because he may or may not have like threatened the Laula <laughs> to an inch kind of, of her life, <laughs> but <clears throat> was able to um, bring forth the fire from her. And that's the partnering of that. I believe that happened nearby. Didn't it happen nearby? Mm. So, I think every place has. That yeah, story, that's what right? I was just gonna say. Like I've but heard yeah. that it happened in Waianae on Oahu, and oh. then there's one on Maui. And See, I love that. I love that about our stories. <laughs> yeah, in Hilo too. It's, it's true. <laughs> yeah, but um, and there's a. Not that I've like I've I've been wondering. So this is like my own wonder is that you know the alai ula and the alai keo are always kind of grouped as alai. So I'm like, oh, you know, the Alai Ke'o has a white shield. Maybe she was the one that was like, you know, not telling. And then once a Maui was like burned her forehead, she then turned red, which is the Alai Ula. Mm. And I was like, oh, you know, the Keiki Alai Ke'o, like I said, look like little fireballs and <laughs> things like that. So I was like, oh, maybe there's that connection to the transformation of the Alai over. Mm. But I don't know. That's just like <laughs> my thoughts. Just amusing and yeah. wondering. Aww. There's another story that I really like about the Allied. So not only were they um, the keepers of fire, which can be also a like soliloquy to like the keepers of knowledge, because fire is knowledge in many different cultures around the world. But they were also the keepers of magic. Mm -hmm. And so this story actually comes from um, Molokai. And it's known Puama. It was um, written, I don't want to say like written by Kamakao, but I think he transcribed it. And then it was translated by um, Mary Kavena Pukui. And so the main points of it was that there's this um, man named Ka Kayakea, and he had just finished building his beautiful hale for his um, family. And I'm going to bring it up, but... Um, he was, he just finished building. So he lived in Kalea on um, 
I think I was, that's what it says, but his household was below Kahanui and it provided all kinds of food. So he was just having a big like celebration. And while he's sitting like on at his hale and like looking off over the distance, he saw this procession of beautiful women and they were wearing like ilima up in their hair and yellow kappa and everything. And so Kaya Kea just goes like, hui, come hang out with me. <laughs> and then, um, this um, man just like appeared next to him and his name was Pua. And Pua's like, oh, you know, um, I'm sorry, but my, um, the procession of women are like spirits and things and they can't come and um, sit with you. And Ka'ulu i Mauna Loa or the grove at Mauna Loa is the name of the chiefest who led the procession. But he told him like, you know, if you create a halalau by the end of the day and you fill it with all kinds of things, then, you know, maybe we'll come and we can give you um, a pu niu niu um, and our ability to do um, some magic and things. So Kaya Kea, he like grabbed all his family, like in the middle of like this celebration they're having. And he's like, we're making another one. <laughs> so like, you know, they all came together, made the um, halalau and he was able to take from them like you know was gifted to them the um that had the just the workings and the um, instruments of how to do um sorcery like the ho'opi'opi'o or ho'o'una'una and so they were the kind of the holders of that and I kind of skipped over but those beautiful women that were dressed with the um Ilima and everything, when he went down to the spring to grab the um, Puniunyu, they were the alai. And then when the um, when he had finished the halalau and filled it with all like kappa and um, pig and with fish and bananas, the alai actually came over and they started to eat at it. And he kind of was like a little confused, but as he like sat there and watched, he could see the visions of the women that he had invited over. So they are like but I try to tell everybody that comes to like Keavava and stuff like, you know, we're taking care of these keepers of knowledge. We're keep taking care of these like these keepers of sorcery. And we are able to now, you know, like keep your mind open, keep your like senses open and you'll be able to like feel that magic and feel that ability. And, you know, we'll be able to reconnect to that unseen world that we kind of not everybody, but a lot of people kind of block themselves out of. And I feel like we're not really moving through the world as we can. And so I see in them and I see where they flourish as a sign, like the IO of like reconnecting to all of those things. Mm -hmm. oh, beautiful. Thank you. Mahalo for sharing that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we love Mo'olelo. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely learned a lot. Um, is there any way that our listeners can kokua any efforts, uh, perhaps a website or social media that might be helpful? or might have information for them to um, come to your space and help? Yeah, so, oh, if they go to, um, to so to come to Keovava, you can go and um, email directors at hoikaihui.org. We do, um, we're on Oahu, so you're welcome to come fly over to Oahu. <laughs> <laughs> but we do second Saturday, so every second Saturday we have a big hui that comes out to like you don't have to get in the water and get wet you're allowed to just go up and do um, the dry forest but I always enjoy when people come into the water with me um, you can also follow um, birds past and present on Instagram Brett Mossman does like all the birds but he does um, 
feature the Alai Ula too. But what we really, really need help with is like what I was telling you guys earlier is that the main thing keeping them back from being able to flourish is the fact that there's so many predators. There's mm. so many feral cats. There's so many mongoose. There's so many rats. And, you know, this was their home. They came here before us. They've been here before us. And, you know, they weren't doing... So if you look through the fossil records, they actually started to flourish more when Hawaiians came and cleared the lower area to create lo'i. So they actually flourish alongside us. Mm. But we have to create that space for them. So any way that we can pass forward bills, that we can pass forward, um, you know, getting our legislator and stuff to really take predator control seriously mm -hmm. and do something to control them, we can actually have a lie around. And I, not here, because the lie are actually found in other places too. You can't eat them. You they lay eggs all year round if they're doing happy. So not only like as themselves as like a beautiful bird that needs to be in our environments too but also like a source of sustenance that we can like reconnect in all the ways that you can connect with a creature but just to start off you know just making sure that they can bound back into abundance again mm -hmm. yeah mahalo nui because that's effect that affects all all of the native birds you know that's not just for the alai ula or keo um We've seen videos of how far these feral cats can travel. Yeah. And you don't understand the, the impact. But mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Even if you neuter them, that doesn't stop them from like eating things or mm -hmm. like spreading toxoplasmosis. So, you know, we just need to take them off the landscape, whether that's removing them or putting them into homes with people. Okay. Well, mahalo for that reminder. Yeah. No, I, think, <laughs> I think we all need to hear that again and again. And it's been a pleasure to... Oh. to not only hear your personal connections and stories um, with these very special manu, um, all the way from the, your experience in Waimea um, to what you do today. So it's been great. We've learned so much, as Lei mentioned, and mm -hmm. I, I'm sure our audience members are like totally like excited <laughs> about what they've learned too. Yeah. yeah. Mahalo nui for joining us. And mahalo nui for having me. Mahalo nui to our mea kipa. Luca Zavas. It was inspiring to hear about her powerful encounters with Manu throughout her life, and it's wonderful to learn more about our Manu of the ponds and marshes of Hawaii, their stories, and how we can ensure their well-being in even the most urban settings. Yes, it was nice to hear about the efforts being made to create welcoming spaces among the landscape for our Manu friends to return to and thrive in. That's it for now. Mahalo for listening, and don't forget to check out our blog at hilo.hawaii.edu slash uluau. And follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Ahui ho! Aloha! Aloha.